Okay, we're starting a new series today. Yay! It's, it's going to be a really short one. It's only three parts long. As you guys know, for the last three years, we've been going through the book of Luke. It's a long book. <laughs> we started uh, December of 2017. So it's two, oh, no, it's like two, two years. Anyways, it's been a long time. And so today, we're going to be continuing on with the book of Luke. We are now looking at Luke chapter 14. Okay, so chapter 14. Uh, and specifically today, we're looking at the first section, which is verses 1 through 14. So if you want to follow along, you can. Uh, you don't have to, but I'll have all the verses up on the screen if, in case you, you don't have a Bible or anything like that. Uh, so, you know, as election time is coming up, I, you know, I'm hearing a lot of heated discussions and I, sometimes even inside the church. <laughs> and if after the election cycle is over, uh, we're all together, then that's a win for me. <laughs> but, um, uh, but outside the church, when I hear people talk about elections, you hear people's opinions and maybe their true hearts of what they feel about the society that they're in right now. And a lot of times I'm hearing a lot more and more people complain about religion in general. I'm hearing more and more people talk about how maybe if you just got rid of religion, then maybe, you know, the world would be better. And which is weird because, you know, in the past, religion was a saving force in the community that helped people. And it's like, what happened? What went wrong? And why, what kind of experiences are people having that's making them say that religion is not a good thing? And so um, today I want to ask this question. Why does religion in some circles, because not everybody agrees with this, but why does religion in some circles have a bad reputation? Because when you know, as much as some people, I know some Christians who say, oh, Christianity is not a religion. You know, it's, it's a relationship with God. And that's very true. Very, very true. Okay, but from the eyes of the people who are not part of it, would say, no, that's a religion. So why, what kind of experience do these people have that made them say, oh, you know what? The problem with this world, you know what will make the world better? If there's no Christianity, if there's no Buddhism, if there's no, you know, like what makes them say that? And so what kind of experience did they have? And so today we're going to be looking at a passage, the first part of Luke chapter 14, where Jesus encounters some religious people. And if he wasn't Jesus, if he was me in this story, not Jesus, I would probably come away thinking, yeah, I don't think the world is better for having, <laughs> having religions. But I love the way Jesus deals with this situation. And he kind of reveals something that's deep inside of a lot of our hearts. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14 from verse 1 and I'm going to be stopping periodically to kind of explain and unpack some of the things that we're going to come across. So is that cool? okay with you guys? All right, so let's start. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, so this is a setting. It's happened on a Saturday. That's the Sabbath. Now, in case you don't know what Sabbath is, we talked about it last year, but I'm going to give you a quick overview of what the Sabbath is and what it means, like behind what we think it means. So when God created the world and Genesis chapter 1, he created in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And if you look at the wording and the, and the way it's, it's, it's the pattern of Genesis chapter 1, what you'll discover is that he starts creating things, and it gets better and better as he creates it. And by the time he gets to the end of the sixth day, he says it is very good. And it, so God had a world in his mind that he created by speaking into being. And it's exactly, what he had in mind is exactly what he sees. And he says, this is perfect. This is good. This is exactly what I want this world to look like. And so for that reason, because his work was complete, on the seventh day he rested. So seventh day is, is the day that he was like, you know what? Paradise is just the way I expected it to be. This is great. So I want you to know this about Sabbath. Sabbath is when we live as if God's paradise is fully realized today. So let me kind of unpack that for you. 
God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he said it's very good, so I'm just going to, you know, just chill and watch creation do its thing uh, and have a relationship with creation that I created. But on the, in Genesis chapter 3, just two chapters after, humanity messes it up. Everything that was good turns sour. And when that happens, you'll notice a lot of stories that happen after that, you'll see people trying to reclaim what was lost in Genesis chapter 3. Here's an example. In the Noah's flood, God floods the earth and wipes away, wipes away, quote unquote, all the wickedness of the world, okay? Because we know that wickedness doesn't just lie out there, but it also lies within ourselves. After the flood, subsede, uh, after the flood was gone, Noah comes out of the ark, he builds an altar, and then what does he do after that? He plants a vineyard. And then he takes off all his clothes. Why does he do that? It's because he was trying to reclaim the Genesis 1 condition of people being naked in the garden with God. But we find out that that doesn't work out. And so we'll see, we'll see over and over and over throughout the scriptures, we see stories of, of humanity trying to reclaim the seventh day. And then, for, for, for weird reason, um, you won't hear anything about Sabbath mentioned for the rest of the book of Genesis. You won't hear about it until the next book in the Bible, which is Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God pulls these people who are in slavery out of Egypt, okay? And as they're traveling to the promised land, God gives them instructions on how to build this tent called the tabernacle because they wanted to know that God was near. So they, God gives them instructions on how to build this tent where you could come and meet with God. Now, as they're doing that, God gives them instructions, specific instructions on what, the, what it should look like on the inside. And if you look at the descriptions of what it looks like on the inside, he says things like, I want you to design it like this so it looks like a vine. I want you to do this so it looks like a tree. And so if you look at the descriptions of how God wanted the inside of the tabernacle to look like, it's supposed to replicate the garden that we saw in Genesis chapter 1. So you can see over and over and over again, we're trying to recreate, we're trying to reclaim the seventh day. And when we realize that by human efforts it's nearly impossible, it's actually completely impossible, God says, then what we're going to do is we're going to create this day called the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the day, one day a week, where we can live and rest and we could do everything in our lives as if paradise is actually here. So, you think you have to work every day. But on that one day a week, you could live as if just like how God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, you can also rest on this day because the world as it, as it should be. Heaven is on earth. You could just relax and you could enjoy the food, that, the plenty that you have right now, and you could live as if today is paradise. That's what Sabbath originally meant. And if you read on to the book of Exodus, you'll see that on the seventh day, on the, on the Sabbath, it, it says, uh, you know, you don't have to go get food because God's going to provide it for you because that's what it will look like in paradise. There's other parts where it says if you have a slave on that seventh year, you have to let it, you have, you have to treat it as a human being, give the, give the slave some, some, some rights. On this, on this 47th year, which is seven sevens, right? 47th year, you need to release that slave back to his family because on that year, you have to act as if paradise is actually here. And so that's what Sabbath is. Sabbath is when we realize, when we live as if paradise is actually fully realized here today. So, Jesus is walking this earth, and today is Saturday. It is the Sabbath. And so, what does Jesus do on a Sabbath? If he were to say, you know, today I'm going to live as if heaven is actually on earth, what would he do? This is what he does. On one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, 
Now, if you haven't been following with, uh, us for the last few years on the book of Luke, what you'll discover is that the antagonists in most of the parts of the book of Luke are these people called the Pharisees. These are the religious people. And in this story, he's a top honcho. He's like the top Pharisee. And so they're enemies. Jesus goes and dines with his enemy on the Sabbath. Why? Because on a Sabbath, when the, the world is as, should, as it should be, you would dine with your enemies because there are no enemies when God's work is done. Are you guys following what I'm saying here? Okay, so that's the setting right now. Okay, but as Jesus is enjoying this meal with the Pharisees, he realizes that something's wrong. He's like, this is supposed to be paradise today, but something's off. Some, like the food is good, the drink is good, the table's nice, something's weird. And he looks across the table and this is what he notices. He was being carefully watched. Why were these people watching him? It's because these people are like, we can't wait to see Jesus mess up. The invitation Jesus received to go to the Pharisee's house was not so they could enjoy a meal together and act as if everything was okay. They were enjoying a meal. Like he was trying to enjoy the meal, but what, why he, the original reason why he was invited was so that they could watch Jesus eat and see if he messes up on any part of it. And so if that happens, and they can say, ah, you see, ah, you're a sinner. Oh, I got you now, Jesus. And if they had those twirly mustaches, they would, twir- they would do this, right? That's, that's the image that I want you to get. This is what's happening right now. And so as Jesus is eating, in front of them, he sees this man. This is the next verse. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of, the body, of his body. There's a person who's not well in front of me. And Jesus realizes this is a setup. These guys invited this person into their home to eat with me because by the way that I treat this person, they're going to, you know, <laughs> they're either, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna judge me based on how I treat this person. So he's like, okay, I got to be careful what I'm going to do. Because in Jesus' mind, he understands this. He understands that Pharisees, they know the Old Testament like inside and out. And they know that when it comes to the Sabbath, there's a bunch of rules you have to follow. Remember on the Sabbath, you're supposed to rest? So they're like, if you do any work on the Sabbath day, then now you're considered a sinner. You are imperfect. So Jesus has this conundrum. He's like, should I heal the person or not? Because today's the Saturday, today's Sabbath. I'm not supposed to work according to them. But deep down inside, I know that healing somebody on the Sabbath is all part of experiencing heaven together. So what, 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 what should I do? And so this is how Jesus responds. Genius thing he does. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful? Meaning the way you interpret the Bible, the way you interpret all the commands in the Old Testament, the, well, There was no Old Testament because there's only a testament. So the way that you translate the testament, right? How you you translate that according to your interpretation, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Why did they remain silent? They remained silent because they knew deep down inside that Jesus understood the heart of the law, whereas they were so focused on the letter of the law. They read the Old Testament. They're like, okay, here are things that we're supposed to do every day. Check, 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 check. Meanwhile, Jesus is over here saying, you guys are getting it wrong. These laws were not given so you could follow orders. These laws were given so you understand the heart of God. And the heart of God is today's the day we're supposed to all enjoy. The Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. Come on, guys, let's just enjoy our meal. And let me just heal this guy because this guy, like, remember, the heart of the law is that on the Sabbath, we're supposed to live as if everything is okay. And in a world that's ev- where everything's okay, I think he should be healed. So what does he do? So taking a hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. 
It's like, yeah, I don't think you should be here anymore because things are about to get <laughs> really ugly. Um, so I was like, yeah, what I'm about to tell these guys, I don't want you to hear it. I want you to go home. So here's Jesus saying, guys, today's the Sabbath. I mean, you're like, yeah, why don't you heal him tomorrow because tomorrow's not a Sabbath. But it's like, no, no, it's because it's the Sabbath that we should heal him today because that's how the world ought to be. In this perfect world, as paradise is realized today, everything should be right. And right now, something's not right, and I'm going to make it right. But from their perspective, they're thinking, but you're actually breaking the law. You're actually healing people. You're working on the Sabbath day. You shouldn't be doing that. So Jesus, after the guy leaves, you know, he closes the door. He, the room is silent. He says this. He's like, let me ask you a question. If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Now, if you use the New King James or King James Bible or a different version of the Bible, the word child is not used. That's because there's different manuscripts out there. In other versions of the Bible, it says donkey. They're not saying that your child is a donkey or anything like that. It's just that there's some discrepancies in, in which version of the old manuscripts that they're using. But the reason I bring that up is because either way, it means the same thing. So let me explain that to you guys. Today, when you have a child, children are considered to be an expense. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? My wife and I, okay, I don't know if this is true, Val, but if, if, if it was cheap to have a kid, then maybe we'd have more. No? Uh, no, no, never mind. No, okay. But okay, before the Depression, okay, before the Depression, having children was actually an economic blessing. Okay? So even today, if you go to a third world country, you'll see families with like 10 kids. And they're considered to be blessed because that's more people that you could have to work your farm. Or if you have other people invading your land, if your kids grow up and grow up strong, you have more people to defend your land. So back then, having more kids, okay, having strong kids, especially if you had male kids, then it was, it was an economic asset to you. Okay? Same goes for donkeys. Okay, that's what I mean is either translation, it means the same thing here. He's saying, if you see something that is going to support you economically, fall into a well, whether it's an ox or a child or a donkey, whatever it is, wouldn't it be your gut like reaction, even on the Sabbath, to rescue it from the well right away? Wouldn't you do that? I mean, it's, it's economically beneficial to you. And so Jesus is pointing out their, their, their hypocrisy. He's basically saying, See, if it benefits you, you have no problem breaking the law. But when it's somebody else's child, like this person who was swelling, you know, you have an issue with me healing that person. It's like, don't you see the hypocrisy? This is why the response to this is, and they had nothing to say. It's like an ancient mic drop, right? It's like, boom, mic drop, and they're like, I don't know what to say. But you see, as Jesus is telling this, 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 is teaching this lesson to them, there's something that's irking inside of Jesus' heart. Like, how did it get this way? The question that he's probably asking is this. How did we get so messed up? Why do we have to live in a world where when I heal somebody, I have to justify it? So, like, last time I checked, healing somebody was a good thing, right? Why do I feel like I have to convince people that doing good is actually good? Like, how did it end up this way? Like, why, why are we living now in a society, Jesus would say 2,000 years ago, where every time these religious people are walking down the streets, people don't cheer for them. They actually are feel, they feel like they're walking on eggshells because they might get judged by them. How do we end up in that kind of world? Like, I thought, you know, God is like, I, I created a world where it was good, and now we're living in a world where there's 
hierarchies and these, you know, is causing people to walk in fear and all of a sudden. And, and all of a sudden, we're all playing this game of who's the most righteous. And so people who are tax collectors, people who are prostitutes, people who had bad luck in their life, they're looking at these holy people thinking, oh, I'll never be like them. I don't belong here. I need to sit at the lesser areas of this town while they sit in the nicer areas of this town. When it comes to banquets, I'm never going to be invited to these banquets because that's for the good people, not me. How did it end up that way? How did it get so messed up? And so Jesus is like, you know, if I wasn't the son of God, I would be totally turned off by religion. So how did it end up this way? Well, Jesus continues, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, so he's sitting at the table. By the way, the series is called Table Talk because the whole chapter, all chapter 14 takes place on the table as he's talking. Okay, when he noticed how the guests were, uh, picked the places of honor at the table, he told him this parable. Now, the reason why I'm highlighting the word parable here is because what I'm about to read is not going to sound like a parable. It's going to sound like good social advice. And you'll know what I'm talking about in a second. But I want you to keep in mind, this is a parable. This is a what? Okay, I'm going to ask you again in like 10 seconds because you're going to forget that this is a parable. So this is, how, this is this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. So he's saying, if you go to a wedding feast, and these, are, these banquets are huge, okay? It's like, there's like VIP sections. Do not sit at the VIP section. Next part. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat, then humiliated, everyone's going to be laughing at you, you will have to take the least important place, like maybe the floor. So imagine you walk into a wedding, it's like, ah, here's the throne, this is where I sit. And everyone's like, oh, look at Koss, he's sitting at the best seat. He's that important. A few seconds later, he's sitting on the, I'm like sitting on the floor. What happened? It's like, well, that was not my seat. My seat is here now. Right? So it's, it's embarrassing. Next verse. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Now, this is really good advice, right? But remember, this is a what? Yes, this is a parable. So in a parable, he's trying to point to a truth, a spiritual truth, right, by using everyday language. Okay, so the, the key to understanding this parable is understanding this word, the wedding feast. You have to understand what a wedding feast is. In ancient Hebrew culture, and maybe even today, I'm not sure, but I know in ancient Hebrew culture, they were looking for the day. They're waiting for the day where at the end of this age, all of heaven and all of earth will come together. It was, so, was kind of like a wedding in a sense, right? And when that happened, they believed that there was going to be a big party. So all of heaven, meaning everything that God imagined this world to be, is exactly the same as the world that actually is. And that's what we call heaven on earth. So when heaven on earth is fully realized, they believe that was a wedding feast. So the wedding feast is, is this. It's the party that happens when all of heaven is, quote-unquote, married with all of earth. That's what this is. So when he's talking about this parable, he's saying, at the end of the age, Jesus, God, he's going to come to the podium. He's going to be like, thank you all for coming to the wedding banquet. And I just want to point out a few people that played a huge role in bringing his kingdom here on earth. Uh, first, I want to say Abe, Abraham. You know, you made a few mistakes here and there, but overall what you did kind of pushed the needle forward towards the kingdom of God. So I just want to applaud you. Everybody, here's Abraham. Everyone's like, oh, guys, thank you. <laughs> you know, and then he's like, and next, Moses. Mo Moses, you know, you didn't finish well, but you did some amazing stuff. You freed slaves. Uh, 
good job, you know, and, you know, and, and, then, and then next is like, Dave, King David, you know. <laughs> I know that Bathsheba thing really, you know, didn't work out for you, but, <laughs> but you unified all Israel, you know, and you were the best king that they ever knew. Oh, good job. You know, there's a lot more people in this world who got to know who you are, who I am because of the way you lived your life. And you know what? A lot of your songs, people make it into modern songs, but, you know, like, your songs are a hit. So good job, you know. And then he's like, you know, Paul, Paul the Apostle. Man, you went through so much. You loved on so many people. Even when your life was threatened, you pushed through. Good job. Let's everybody applaud him. Yeah, right? And then he looks over, and there he is, Pharisee Phil sitting at the VIP section. And next I want to point, Pharisee, what, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, um, you know, every time I walk down the street, people are like, oh, look at him, he's so holy. I, I don't think you belong here. I'm sorry, and I love you, you know, but, uh, oh, but, 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 but God, when some people are sinning, I told them, hey, you're sinning. Don't I get bonus points for that? It's like, uh. It's like, oh, remember that time where, where there was a person, um, that was having a banquet, you know, and we're eating, and there was a guy that was swelling, and, and, and this guy named Jesus was sitting across from me, and, oh, what, oh, he's your son? Oh. <laughs> you know, right? Well, what did you, yeah, I told him, yeah, I was telling him that he was working on the Sabbath, so he was a sinner. Oh, yeah. So this is Jesus' way of saying, when that day comes, you, Mr. Pharisee, will be taken from the highest seat and be put on the lowest seat. It's almost like, have you forgotten what all this is all about? It's not about following rules. You have forgotten the heart of the rules. Why did God give us, give us these commands? Why? And so he will look at this guy and he will say this. He will probably say this. Your obsession of getting to the top of God's list has put you at the bottom. But isn't that what we're trying to do? Isn't that what all Christians are supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to be working towards the top of God's list? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Well, in this case, there's something that's really interesting that's happening beneath the surface. You see, beneath the surface, you could say, on, on the surface level, you could say, hey, I'm doing all this because I love God. I'm, you know, I'm trying to memorize scripture, and I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out sins of people. You know, I'm doing all this for God. But what we discover is that deep down inside, these people, they're, they're doing all these things not because they love God, but they're doing this because it ex- in some way it exalts themselves. They happen to live in a community where being righteous is the way of making it to the top of the ladder of, of your socioeconomic status. So if you were somehow a righteous person, then you would be at the top of the ladder. And so these people were not being righteous for the sake of loving God. They were being righteous because they wanted to be recognized by the people around them. And so when somebody is sitting across from you on the, at the table who seems to be more righteous than you, you feel threatened, right? It's like, hey, the other day I fasted for for three days, not a big deal. And Jesus is like, oh, I did 40 days, 40 nights. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, uh, the other day, I only sinned twice, you know, because I'm so good at following rules. He's like, I never sinned in my life. It's like, oh. You see, the problem here is this. They saw their faith as a race. But Jesus says, our faith is not a race. It's not a relay race. It's not, it's not like who gets to the finish line first. And Jesus is like, by the way, I get there first because I'm the first fruit. But anyways, but this is actually more like a marathon. Now, let me get, okay, for those of you who are marathon runner, runners, I'm assuming this because I, I never run the marathon. When you run the marathon, are you running the marathon because you want to get first place? Or are you running because you want to get to the finish line? 
Now, I know there's some overachievers out there who are like first place, second place, that's me, right? But we're all trying to get to the finish line. And whether if you get there 90th or 120th or 42nd place, it doesn't matter, right? Like, where, when, the point is you want to cross the finish line. And if you see your friend struggling to get there, you wouldn't mind stopping to help that person up and carrying that person to the finish line because in a marathon, it doesn't matter what place you finish in. What matters is that you and your friends make it there together. And Jesus says, you guys have missed the point. You Pharisees missed the point. You see, in your culture, he would look at the Pharisees, he would say this, these are the things that you probably look at, like you want to work for. You want to be morally good, especially in public, right? You want to be rich, because back then if you were poor, they believed that God was cursing you, which is not true, right? But then they thought, you know, I want to be rich, because if I'm rich, then that's proof that God has been blessing me, because I'm a good person. Um, they believe that, you know, if I'm successful obeying the biblical rules, then, you know, like, these are the things I should be striving for. And these are actually good things to strive for. Memorizing scripture. They say that Pharisees memorize everything from the book of Genesis all the way to the end of Malachi. And they know every word and, and memorize it. You say, hey, can you quote Leviticus? They'll be like, yeah, no problem. Right? And so each, these, each of these things, if you're doing it because you love God, that's fine. But when they come across a person who is more morally good, more rich, more successful at obeying the, law, the biblical rules, more memorized scripture then all of a sudden you feel threatened. And that's the way you find out if you're doing this for God or if you're doing this to show off to your friends. In other words, he's saying to the Pharisees, you cloaked your pursuit of self-exaltation with your pursuit for God. It's like deep down inside, Pharisees, you're not really doing this because you love me. You're doing this because you want to look good. You like having the nicest seat at the banquet. You like being recognized in public as being the holiest people in town. And in order to get there, if there's somebody who's a threat to you, you shoot them down. In this case, that's Jesus. Jesus, the perfect one, right? He shows up. He's like, no, 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 you can't be perfect. So they're always trying to see, is there anything wrong with Jesus that I could, that I could just totally you know, use to, to smear? Like, what can I do to get rid of Jesus? And the only reason they're doing that is because they want to have that top spot. And because of that lifestyle that you're living, Pharisees, you are making God more unattainable to the people who really need him. There are people here who are poor, who are, who are struggling, and they keep thinking, I need God in my life, but I can't because I'm not as good as them. And so Jesus is saying, you guys got to be careful when you live, life, live like this because you're, making, you're giving religion a bad name. You're making people think that to be religious, you have to be a certain type of person. You have to be better than the majority of the world. Like, you think that's what it looks like to be religious? And he says, no, it's not. So stop acting like you're holy when you're really not. Because if you show up to the final wedding banquet and you sit at the nice place thinking you deserve it, God's going to say, you don't belong here, you sit on the floor. He says, that's why you don't have a place here at the VIP table. He says, rather, a pursuit of God should be cloaked with uplifting others. We see Paul talk about this over and over again. Paul, one of the first Christian writers and first Christian leaders, he kept on saying, there's so many laws, especially like Romans chapter 13, read it, it's really good. It says like, if you want to follow all these rules, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do this. If you get through that list, he's like, if you want to fulfill all those laws, you could do all that by loving others as God has loved us. And here's the question, how did God love us? It says that God 
being the very nature of God, Jesus, he lowered himself down to the level of a, of a servant. He lowered himself beneath people to uplift them. And he says, Pharisees, I'm pretty sure that's not how God has been loving you. The way that you're doing this is wrong. You're not loving the people around you. That's why I question, do you really, are you really pursuing God or are you just pursuing this life of exalting yourself? So Jesus summarizes in the next verse, verse 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You could tell Jesus is not happy with these people. People who had a swelling of the body like the person that was sitting in front of Jesus, he's like, your actions are causing people like him to be used in the, you know, for religious gain, and, and that's why people don't like religion. You've got to be very careful. So the question that comes up, you know, this leads to another question, right? Well, the question is like, well, I, I try to do things that, like, I, you know, when I worship, I raise both hands, but I'm not sure if I'm doing that because I love God or if I'm doing it because I want my neighbors to think that I'm holy, you know? Or, you know, I have that Jesus bumper fish thing on the back of my car. I don't know if I do that because I love Jesus or I don't know if I'm doing that because I want all my friends to say, there goes that car, that holy car. Whoa, check that out, you know, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know if I'm doing this for myself or if I'm doing it for God. Like, I need to, like, I need to know, like, because I don't want to be the guy that's like this Pharisee. I, you know, like, I like to quote scripture when I pray, and I don't know if I'm doing that because I want to look holy to my friends or if I'm doing that because I'm really inspired by the Holy Spirit to do it. I, you know, like, I, when I say, like, I feel like God is speaking to me, um, I'm not sure if I'm saying that because I really heard from you or if I'm saying that because I want the people around me to think I'm holy. Like, I, I'm not sure. Is, is there any way that I could test to see if my motivations are correct? Question is, how would I know for certain if I have the right motivation? Right? Because we don't want to be like the Pharisee. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be people who are doing things for the right reason. So Jesus goes into the next few verses, giving us a way to test to find out if our motivations are in the right place. Okay, so here the, here's this. Then Jesus said to the host, so now he's talking to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. Now, he's not saying, you know, I don't want you to go home thinking like, well, you know, for uh, Mother's Day, I'm not going to invite my mom because Jesus said not to invite, you know, family, right? Or for Christmas, no one's invited. I'm just going to invite, you know, like, he's not saying that. He's like, this is a way to test to see if you have the right motivation. Next verse. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. How's that? Next verse. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's another word for the banquet that we just talked about. At the very end, you'll be recognized, you'll be repaid. Now, what is Jesus trying to say here? What is this test that he's saying that we should put ourselves through? He's saying this. If you want to know if you have the proper motivation do good things that only God will recognize and reward. This is why Jesus says things like this. Hey, you know when you fast? Try not telling anybody about it. It's like, oh, but I need, I need my friends to say, good job, Cotton, give me a high five. A holy five is like the best, right? You're like, you've been fasting for three hours? High five, Cots, you know, right? <laughs> like, because that will tell me if I'm, if like, if it really, if I have that struggle inside of me that's like, I need to tell somebody, but I can't because Jesus said I can't. That will be the litmus test to find out if I'm doing this for recognition or if I'm doing it because I love God. This is why Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray out loud in public. Do it in the closet inside your house where nobody else will hear you or see you. Why? Because 
Man, when I pray, I pray in old King James, like, thou God art, you know, whatever. I don't speak that language, right? But, <laughs> right? but when I pray like that in public, people are like, whoa, look at him. He's so holy. Jesus says, try doing that in your closet. And if, you, if inside of your heart is saying, oh, I wish people heard that prayer, you know, then you know right away that you're doing this for you, not for God. If you help somebody out and you feel like you have to tell somebody, when you do something with your right hand, it says, do not let your left hand know that you're doing it, right? It's like, if you do a good deed and if you can't wait to tell somebody so you could get a, you know, like a recognition in the next, next morning's paper and people don't read papers anymore, but you know what I'm talking about. If somebody tweets about you, there you go, right? Ask yourself, that desire to do that, is, is it because God's recognition of you is not enough? Or is it, because, is, it, is it because you have to let people know so that people can say, good job? And, you know, let me, let me say this, too. And this might hit home for some of you because a lot of you are on social media. For those of you who do good works and you have to post about it, and it makes you feel good that people are saying, like, 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 like. But, you know, now on Facebook, you do the heart. You <laughs> know, like, oh, that's even better. Or the wow emoji is like, oh, right? If you feel a need to post everything good that you're doing, I would have to ask, are you doing this because of God? Or are you doing it because you can't wait to be recognized by other people? And he says, if it's you, if you are the kind of person that has to be recognized by other people to do these things, then chances are you're not doing this for God, you're doing it for yourself. And if you're doing it for yourself, you're in danger of becoming just like the Pharisee. You're in danger of making this whole thing not about God, but a religion about yourself. And when you do that, you're actually excluding people who feel like, I wish I was as good as you. I wish I was as involved in the church as you. I wish I could do as much as you, but I'm not, so I guess God is unattainable for me. And this is why Jesus has an issue with his Pharisee. One of the um, first Christian leaders I talked about, his name is Paul, he wrote a lot about this. He writes a letter to a church in Philippi called the Book of Philippians, and he talks about his journey through this ordeal. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a different translation of the Bible. It's called the message. The message is like a paraphrase of the Bible, but the whole point of the, the message is to make sure that you get the heart behind it. So it might not be a good word-for-word translation, but you'll get the heart of what Paul is trying to say here. So let's take a look at that. He says this, The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. He's saying, Everything that I thought was really important to me, right? I was a, I don't know if you know this, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a super, you know, they called themselves like the Jew of the Jews. We would call them super Jews, right? Like they're like, oh, you know, I know the Bible inside and out. I, I follow every single rule as best, best as I can. I follow all the things I'm supposed to and everybody's recognizing me as some religious giant. He's like, that was me back then. And I thought that was very important. All the credentials that came with my successes was very important to me. But now it's all waste to me. It's all garbage, why? Well, it's because I, I encountered Jesus. Well, what do you mean by that, Paul? Next verse. He says, yes. All the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. It's like when I started following Jesus, the, the whole community that used to praise me, they turned their backs on me. And so everything that I thought was important to me is now gone. But now that it's gone, I understand I didn't really need that. All I really needed was Jesus. Next verse. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. 
you won't find like a translation of that in the Greek, but that's the heart of what Paul's trying to say. He's like, all this stuff is, is junk. Like, I don't even, like now looking back, you know, because hindsight is twenty twenty. it's like now looking back, why did I even spend so much time trying to attain the praises of people? I, I don't even know why I'm trying to do that. And then he realizes maybe it's because it wasn't that I loved God. It's because I love people praising me for being close to God. And because of that, I pushed people away from God. If you know Paul's story, when he first shows up on the pages of history, we see him being called Saul, and he's persecuting people who follow Jesus. And there are some scholars out there who think that the reason why Paul was, had a vendetta against these Christians is because he was jealous. He was jealous of the freedom that they had. He's like, no, 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 no. I've spent my whole life following all these rules. And, and here are these people who follow God who, who aren't bound. They, they, they're acting like they're free, man. Like, uh, that's not fair. No, no, they need, they're, they're, her, they're heretics. We need to get rid of them. And now he looks back and he says, no, 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 no. I was wrong. When you dig deep into my life, you'll discover that deep down inside, it's because I was playing this race. I wanted to be first. I wanted to be the number one on God's list but now I know it's actually a marathon. It's all about getting to the finish line. It doesn't matter when you get there. It's getting to the finish line. And if that means I have to stop running so that I could help a brother up and push him forward so he crossed that line, then that's the mission of my life. What Paul is saying is this. Our desire to self-promote has gotten in the way of bringing heaven on earth. This is what is wrong. This is why things got so messed up. Why does religion have a bad reputation? I don't think the problem is with God. I don't think the problem is with Jesus. But I think it's his followers, us, that is so obsessed with promoting ourselves. We want to be right all the time. When we talk about God with our friends and they say, well, you know, science says this, there's something in our hearts that says, no, no, I need to win this debate because somehow you feel like your reputation is going down the drain by not being able to stand up for God. Like, we feel like it's a personal attack because our, you feel like my reputation's on the line. What's wrong with religion? It's people who think, I need to have power. I need to have a high office, you know, in whatever group I'm in, you know, because I want to show the world that people who follow Jesus could be a pow- have power, you know. It's because these people feel like they have something to prove for themselves. And I keep talking about them, but I also want to bring it here. Do any of us feel like we have to prove ourselves and we cloak it in religion? We cloak it in saying like, oh, I'm doing this because I love Jesus. But in reality, you're doing it because you love yourself. Have you ever had that heart of, I'm better than these people? If you do, then you're in danger of becoming just like the Pharisees. Because what, what did Jesus do? He didn't say, I'm better than you. He said, I'm willing to lower myself beneath these people to lift them up. Do you have to somehow f- prove that you have to be first? Do you, have to, do you feel this urge inside of you? you to somehow prove others wrong, that you're right for following Jesus? Do you feel that you have to prove to people that that you're not wrong for following Jesus? Then you're also in danger of becoming like the Pharisees. Do you have this urge where you feel like, you know, I'm following Jesus, but I feel like I need to be respected. And so every time somebody questions you, you feel like you have to fight back. 
if that's you, if that's us, then we're in danger, also in danger of becoming like the Pharisees. And being a Pharisee means we're making it harder for people to access God. And, you know, what's, what, what hits home for me is that when I watch my kids, you know, uh, seven and three years old, uh, when, they're, when I tell them, like, give them a law, right? I don't, I don't call a law. A law. <laughs> At the Omina household, we have laws. No, we have rules, okay? <laughs> and we say things like, you know, like, because we have one iPad, and, you know, I know bad parenting. You're not supposed to give them too much screen time. But, you know, I have one iPad, and I say, hey, you know, um, Justin, if you, um, you need to share your iPad with your sister because she wants to use it, right? It's like, okay. So he follows, he's a good rule follower. But then eventually, when she's using the iPad, it's like, you're supposed to share. It's my turn now, and he grabs it for her, right? <laughs> right? And, and what I'm realizing is that the rule, the intention behind the rule was so that there could be peace amongst the siblings. They learn how to share with each other. But the way that he interpreted that law or that rule is, yes, it's good to share, but you need to share with me so that I have my turn. And so when, I, when he's telling his sister, his little sister, that he needs to follow the rules, he's not doing it because he's trying to obey my rules. He's doing it because he wants more screen time. Right? If he could be real with himself, I know at seven years old, if he could just go down deep into his soul and, and say, you know what, Dad, I just realized, I did some soul searching and I realized this isn't really about following your rules. I'm so sorry. I repent. This is really, you know, that I really wanted more screen time. So would you please forgive me? I will repent. You know, like, no, he's not going to do that. But from, just imagine from God's perspective, he's looking at these people. He gave them these laws and they're using it to extol themselves. So I want to ask you this. If you could just imagine, if every Christian in the world, you know, just, just for like one month, if every Christian in the world for just one month decided to be selfless, that they lowered themselves beneath others and lifted people up instead of trying to prove that they're wrong, instead of proving like, hi, hey, I deserve your respect, that they decided to humble themselves and lower themselves beneath people and lifted them up for just one month, for just one month, if they decided, instead of just being concerned about my race to the finish line, what if I actually worried about other people and helped carry them to the finish line with me? For just one month, do you think the world would be a better place? This is what God is calling us to do. To be a follower of Jesus. To, to all the things that's, that's pushing people away from Jesus, to count all those things as a loss. And he says, this is what I, he's, remember, he's having a meal, right? <laughs> Imagine him telling you this right across the table saying, this is the problem. The people who claim to follow God aren't following God at all. They're just following themselves. My prayer for us is that we become more like Jesus and take ourselves off the pedestal and stop worshiping, our, worshiping ourselves as idols. Amen? All right, let's pray.